Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Boy, we are always thrilled with your chance to talk to Brian Billick from the NFL Network. And, of course, you can follow him at Coach Billick on Twitter. And, uh, Brian, I mean, this has been, without question, the wildest, most active free agency period I could ever remember. Because here it is, we're two weeks into free agency, and there's been over 130 signings. And basically, uh, in a normal year, there's 165. I mean, are you staggered by the pace of the signings? Yeah, and it's interesting, particularly in a year where there's there was some ambiguity about the cap. The cap is obviously down. So teams have having to got very, very creative. Uh, and I think the fact that the quarterback movement, which has been un, uncharacteristic, you know, uh, of previous free agencies, you don't normally have this type of quarterback movement. So I think that kind of exacerbates it a little bit in terms of going, boy, this is uh, this is a brave new world. And it's going to be amazing to see because obviously the cap and the TV contracts and everything go with it. The way that should shoot up next year, uh, it, it, we may be even this may be even dwarfed by that. No question. I, I, the the thing that surprises me is what some of the priorities have been as far as uh, you know, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, for example, we got uh, the eighteen million dollar deal for Kenny Galladay, Galladay, and then you've got the thirteen million dollar deal for Corey Davis. But then after that, you had the New England Patriots signing two tight ends at uh, twelve point five million, and all the other receivers came in after that. So in other words, you only had two receivers that were able to top the top two tight ends. Yeah, and, and, and receiver is always tough because, as you know, John, the, the, they all want to be paid like a, a dominant number one. And as we know in the history in this league, that doesn't turn out very well. There's very few guys that are in that secondary position that can really step into that because there's only so many of those types of guys. So, but yet the money has, has you know, and, and the way teams have uh, uh, kept them by, by way of, of uh, putting the franchise tag on them, show you the value that they're putting on them. Uh, and you look on the defensive side with the edge rusher, it shows you the importance that people recognize in today's game with the way these offenses are spread out. You've got to have a guy. You've got to have a dominant guy to develop a four-man rush if you have any chance of being solid in that front seven and putting pressure on these athletic quarterbacks. You've coached against them. You've watched them for years. How stunned are you to see the $200-plus spent on big free agents by Bill Belichick in New England? Well, it's a unique time. You know, it's for a long time, obviously. They began with Tom Brady, so that gave them a lot of latitude to just situationally use free agency. Uh, and they've always been very uh, so tactful about, you know, bringing in veterans with very specific roles in mind, which also gave them a chance to be very creative or useful in terms of the way they wanted to use the cap. But for the first time in, you know, since I can remember, in 20 years, they really do have to kind of start from scratch, so to speak. And, and you can see, and they had the cap room to do it uh, and to be very aggressive. And, and they haven't gone out and done the, you know, the huge blockbuster deals, but they still have been strategic. But the number of deals, it just underlines just how, much, how many needs this, this, uh, this uh, New England Patriot team needed to have with the idea of, no, we're not rebuilding, we're just reloading. Well, they had a lot of reloading to do. Yeah, they really did, and it was weird because, I mean, they starved the wide receiver and tight end position for two years, Brady's last year and last year with Cam Newton, and now they've just tried to fill it up as best they can. Well, and they've got to. If they, if they expect Cam Newton to have any kind of success and to get, kind of get back into form, 
Um, you know, that as we've talked about many times, John, it's so hard to separate the play of a quarterback from what's going around him. And clearly what was going on around Cam Newton was not very good. So they had, particularly with the two tight ends, which lends itself to that running ability and those formationally things that they can do with Cam Newton as a runner, but yet still stretch the field downfield, stretch the ball downfield and give them a chance to win those matchups down the field to let Cam Newton you know, get back into a rhythm to where he can be productive in throwing the ball, not just running the ball. How do you look back at uh, Cam Newton's first year in New England, and particularly, did he wear down as the season went on? I think he just wore out with the lack of support that he had around him. Clearly, he's getting at the age where, you know, you you don't want Cam Newton carrying the ball 100 times, 80 times. He's still going to be, that's going to be a dynamic part of his game. But they've got to get to where they, he can be more of that impact throwing the ball down the field. They just didn't have enough people for people to have to respect that to get the ball down the field. Therefore, they could configure themselves to strictly stop the run. So if they can spread the ball out a little bit more, and Josh McDaniel will do a good job in kind of recrafting the offense to, to take advantage of people that want to kind of build that box to account for the running game that maybe Cam Newton with these new added weapons can take advantage of these one-on-one matchups. I know when we last talked, you brought up the idea that uh, the two tight end offense is continuing to grow, which is a good thing. Uh, what, what do you see continuing with the two tight end offense? Because obviously you can see from the Patriots standpoint, they're going back to the Rob Gronkowski, uh, Aaron Hernandez days with what sure. they've invested at tight end. You know, Seattle, you use more two tight ends. You got the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay offense with two tight ends. And that's really spreading. Yeah, I mean, because for a couple reasons. One, your tight end is usually your best mismatch on the field because whatever they want to do secondary-wise, you can either outsize or outspeed them based on what they want to do with it. The second thing is it gives you the, 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 you know, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I've got two tight ends in the game, well, what am I? My base? Because I think you're going to get into to the eye or the trips or the spread, uh, meaning two tight ends uh, in the interior of the offensive line to, to go downhill at me. Or do I put nickel in because, again, these guys can adapt and spread out into a three- and four-wide receiver look very readily. So it puts a lot of pressure on defensive coordinators. So what personnel do I have on the game if you come in with an effective 12 personnel? Yeah, and how, how do you look at the, uh, the abilities of Hunter Henry and Jonah Smith and how they'll fit in in New England? I think they give them the, the versatility of just what we were talking about. They can be you know, good enough inline blockers – and give you some of those, you know, power and counter game uh, that Cam Newton likes to run, uh, yet they're also going to be effective down the field. So, yeah, I think they fit into exactly of what – and as defenses get smaller and smaller because of spread offenses, then I think you're going to see this because I think you're going to see teams, they're going to say, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to look for that speed, if you're going to look for that diminished size defensively, I'm going to kind of get bigger to where I can maybe shove the ball down your throat. How much has the mobile quarterbacks, the increasing number of mobile quarterbacks, and particularly young mobile quarterbacks, changed the offense and changed the way defense has to have to defend it? Well, I think you have to define mobile. Now, there's certainly mobile like a Lamar Jackson. That's that's a whole other category, certainly. Yeah. But mobile meaning athletic within the pocket, to extend plays within the pocket and occasionally get outside the pocket, the way a Russell Wilson, the way a Patrick Mahomes does. Uh, but that doesn't diminish the fact that you still you have to be able to win from the pocket. And 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 you look at the draft class this year. 
Uh, it's a diverse group of guys that, that work primarily out of the pocket, whether it's a Trevor Lawrence, whether it's a Mac Jones, and guys that can add, you know, a little bit extra element to it, whether you're talking about uh, the kid at Ohio State Fields or, or uh, Trey Lance. And then, of course, Zach Wilson is kind of a hybrid between the two. Uh, let's, let's remember, though, that the, the team that won the Super Bowl did it with a guy strictly from the pocket. No doubt about it. Yeah, and that's the thing that's interesting because it, where it's changed the game on defense, uh, I know Matt Rule brings this up, you almost have to have that positionalist player, and that's used to be the safety in the box who would be there to help be the eighth guy to stop the run. Now you have more safety-slash-linebackers that have to be in there to chase things down, particularly with these young quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's where this hybrid type of defense that we're talking about uh, is becoming more and more vogue. We've talked about it before. In, in the day, it used to be 60% base, 40% nickel, and then it's flipped, and it became uh, 40% base, 60% nickel. And I have defensive coordinators telling me now they're in base defense less than 20, 25% of the time. Uh, so that being the case, then teams, that presents an opportunity as we constantly evolve from one year to the next, that if you're going to have that kind of size defense on the field, then it's going to be real attractive for me to get big and physical and get downhill. One of the uh, big stories here in Seattle, which is kind of an overdone story, was Russell Wilson you know, being disappointed with the offensive line, getting hit too much, all those different things. You know, They fired Brian Schottenheimer. They brought in Shane Waldron, who brings in that uh, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay system. Uh, how do you look at how that should work with Russell Wilson, and how different will it be for the Seahawks offense? I don't think it's dramatically different because Pete Carroll is always going to live by playing good defense to run the ball. They, too, like like the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady relationship, they, they begin with a dynamic player like Russell Wilson that allows him to cover up a lot of inequities in terms of some of the things that you're able to do going forward. I have been kind of scratching my head about the whole Russell Wilson thing in Seattle. Uh, he's talking a little like, you know, we, we heard this from Tom Brady for a number of years. Hey, I need more help. We need to be more, more dynamic here or there. Um, and sort I certainly understand the frustration. It's not like he's going to go anywhere. There's no way they're going to deal off Russell Wilson. I do think that story was kind of overblown. Uh, I think it was just Russell Wilson kind of stretching his legs saying, hey, we, we, we need to, to, to think outside the box, be a little bit better. But I don't think they're going to – it's not like Russell Wilson's going to become a 600-throw guy because Pete Carroll's going to stay married to them. Yeah, so I would have to think that uh, you know, with the way that the offense is here in Seattle, as you mentioned, it's like you're going to you know, still run the ball. But you know, uh, the, four, the 12, four games that they lost in the regular season, Russell Wilson had an unusual 12 turnovers, and that's because he was throwing the ball more. Yeah, and that's a function of also having to catch up, having to try to do more. So they got to get a little bit better on defense, get more turnovers on defense. And yeah, certainly you got to protect your quarterback. You can certainly understand Russell Wilson's frustration with going, hey guys, I got, I got to be protected. You're relying a little bit too much on me in terms of just making something out of nothing. Uh, but I, like I said, Pete Carroll is going to stay with a formula that he truly believes in, and it's never going to get too far away from the running game. Scheme-wise, explain to everybody, what is the look of that uh, Shanahan-McVay uh, offense, and why is it different from most? Well, it, it, from the standpoint, it's just it's very basic. They're going to work everything off the, the stretch zone, the inside zone. 
Uh, they're going to have certain variations to that, and they're going to see the jet sweeps and some plays that go off of it. But it's basically a variation of the theme on formation. They're going to come in. They're going to size up what you do. They're going to be very tactical about the formations and personnel that they think best match up against what you want to do defensively. And then they're going to run their basic one scheme. And then obviously once they have that, then they're going to do their play action. Everything bases on the run, the base run, meaning the inside and outside zone, the formations, and then the play actions that come off that. They'll do some reverses and jet sweeps and the like just to keep create some uh, confusion and creativity on the outside. But everything begins with those basic two or three runs and it's all variations on a theme. Yeah, I know that uh, last year Russell Wilson held on to the ball 2.97 seconds, which is the fifth most in the league, and 14 of the 47 sacks he had were attributed to him, according to Pro Football Focus. But uh, I was looking back over the last four years for McVay and Shanahan, and uh, only once of each team did a quarterback have more than 30 sacks. I mean, in fact, if you even look at uh, you know what happened down with the Rams, you had Jared Cook in the low 20s three of his four years. So there seems to be more of a quickness in getting rid of the football that prevents some of the sacks. Yeah, and it's the ability to get the ball down the field. It also, uh, the ability to run the ball that then creates those one-on-one matchups on the outside against Seattle because of really the lack of a real strong running game. People could could feel like they could handle that with their front seven, which gave them a lot of latitude to hold up on the back end. Because the last thing you want to do is give Russell a big play down the field. Uh, and so he, you know, he'll make the play action fake and come out of it. And, and it looks like he's seeing a team picture of the defense back there because there's so many bodies. So if they can get the running game cranked up, uh, and obviously the play action protections can be very solid. So yeah, all of it goes part and parcel with the times that they are going to throw Russell Wilson having better protection and having better matchups on the outside. What do you think of the combination at wide receiver? Where would you kind of rank DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in the uh, as a duo receiving group? Well, potentially spectacular. Uh, Lockett's proven time and again, and he and Russell will have that special relationship where he kind of puts the ball in only a place that Tyler Lockett can get to it. And DK Metcalf, what what a weapon he can be. Again, I think we're just scratching the surface with him. He'll continue to develop the size and the speed and the want. Um, yeah, that's that's a heck of a combination to where you've got to roll defenses to account for him. Well, that creates great matchups for Lockett on the other side. So you throw in the running game with that combination, uh, that could be lethal for Seattle. What? How do you describe the state of quarterbacks right now in the National Football League? Because you have the older quarterbacks in the NFC, the younger quarterbacks in the AFC, and then you also have a stretch from, what, 2009 to uh, 2000, and I believe it's 17, where there's no quarterback drafted in the first round yeah. that's with the team that drafted him. Yeah, amazing flux at the quarterback position. It's clear you're a team in the NFL that you either have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't, you better be in the process of getting one. Half the teams in the league have to address that. Uh, of the new head coaches that come in, all of them, have, that's the number one job. They have a unique combination of the quarterbacks they have available. They've addressed it being free agency. And, of course, the number one and two pick of the draft are by two teams in New York and Jacksonville that need quarterbacks that are going to make the draft very interesting given the options at quarterback, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, Justin Fields, and the list goes on. So, uh, yeah, again, it kind of comes all comes back to the quarterback position, and you either have one or you better be getting one. Uh, and the unique trades that we've even seen with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff, 
uh, seeing a, a guy like Carson Wentz going to, to uh, Indianapolis, which is going to change that formula a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I can't remember a year where we've had such flux at the quarterback position. And like you said, uh, and the fact that we've got an aging group of quarterbacks that are still spectacular, obviously, uh, with, uh, with Tom Brady and what he's doing, certainly just cer- uh, certainly lost Drew Brees. Uh, but but uh, with Aaron Rodgers and what he's still doing in Green Bay, um, yeah, it is kind of interesting where these the new young guys seem to be on the AFC side. But that's going to switch too as we transition uh, into it. And the draft takes care of that in terms of the AFC, the NFC having to build up to match to it. So as as we always say, it's very cliche, but it's obviously a quarterback driven league. And finally, how good are the five quarterbacks who could go in the first round? Well, we're going to find out. History tells us that it's a 50-50 crapshoot. Of course, I wrote the book, The X Factor, about the 2018 draft uh, that had five quarterbacks and, and with mixed reviews, and we're still learning. Uh, the diversity in these guys, you know, whether it's obviously a Trevor Lawrence at the top of the, the scale, the athleticism of a Trey Lance and a Justin Fields, uh, the pure pocket presence of a, of a um, uh, uh, Mac Jones uh, and 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 Zach Wilson who's kind of a hybrid in between them. So uh, that they all should be. There's no reason all of them shouldn't be solid franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. But history tells us that half of them are going to fail. Well, you never fail because you're so sensational, and we appreciate. It. And of course, uh, Brian Billick can be followed at Coach Billick. NFL Network analyst and, of course, does such a great job. One of the great offensive minds, at least I've been around for years. Hey, thank you for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Sounds great, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.